Listen in to hear how eHealth can enable every pharmacist to play a critical role right at the centre of our patients' care. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need, all the tools to build a smarter, more successful 21st century pharmacy before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours. Episode 19 is coming your way. Big change to the program today. We have a very special guest, which will need no introduction, but he will get a great introduction coming up, being Koz Sklavos. Uh, certainly one of the best ambassadors of eHealth. He'll deliver a great interview that covers the past, the present, and the future of eHealth in this country. And it's such a jam-packed interview that we could not possibly fit in a micro-transformation this week. I did promise all our listeners that we won't be going over the one-hour mark. I know we've touched that a few times. So I will not go over that and throw a micro-transformation in. As you may have noticed, um, the micro-transformations I have included in a special playlist on SoundCloud. So if you haven't checked it out, head across to SoundCloud under the transformation profile and you will find a a playlist dedicated to micro-transformation. So you can always pick those up if you don't feel like you don't have the uh, time to go through a 45-minute to a one-hour episode, including the interview and the micro-transformation and me getting on my soapbox and everything, and you just want a little bite-sized podcast to take with you, these are generally between 10 and 15 minutes, so it's really quite palatable, and I might throw another one up there during the week, probably even a brand new one as well. We'll see how we're going as well, but certainly there's a number going all the way back to episode three and four that haven't been put up there yet, so I might start with that first. We'll see how we go. I wanted to give you an update onto a few things. Uh, We had a competition last week about what was the common element between Coca-Cola, Pepsi and 7-Up regarding its origin. Well, I wanted to put that across to us all that as, as pharmacy owners and as pharmacists, we do have a proud heritage and we were responsible as a, as a group, even though there were individual pharmacists that actually put them together to actually creating all of those three products in their original format. I've got some great answers on uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn about what we thought it might be, whether it was the formulation, whether they were all in drugstores, but the fact that all, only all three involved having a pharmacist invent it, I think it's a fantastic achievement. And Certainly, I think we undersell ourselves as to our potential and also the impact that we may have even had historically as well. So I might even talk about a few more famous pharmacists down the track, but that was more in conjunction with our interview last week with Scott Maitland. So drum roll, please, as uh, our winners have already been notified. And if you have been in the social areas, you will have already been noticing the answer and all of that. But for our listeners, uh, the winner of the VIP ticket for the book launch uh, was Bronwyn. 
in Victoria, and uh, she's the first to take away a VIP ticket. We also had Andrew in Queensland. Um, unfortunately, Andrew will be unable to make it, but uh, we're putting together a very special pack for him as well. Uh, they both crossed over very closely in the posting of their answers, so it was only fair that we declared dual winners. I'll be posting another competition live on Monday uh, via Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So please tune into that next week, and another VIP ticket will be up for grabs as well. The best way to know what the answer is, obviously, listen to our jam-packed interview coming up with Cos Sklavos. That might be the little tip for you that it might come from that. Also, I wanted to update you. I spoke about a few episodes back that I'd get Joshua Zeering on the show um, regarding an update as to how Quickie's launch in July was happening and uh, obviously try to get a video of their first flight as well. Unfortunately, I have been informed uh, that the FAA has appealed against the ruling that did allow commercial delivery via drones. So unfortunately, they're going to be delayed um, indefinitely at the moment. So unfortunate for Josh. It's a great concept, obviously very futuristic and uh, certainly may have a place in the future of pharmacy, but not right at this moment. And obviously by that, by that ruling, uh, we're unlikely to see it in Australia at the moment. But as soon as there's a change in that, I'll be the first to let you know. In relation to uh, the book launch, I thought I'd throw a few more details your way to uh, whet the appetite as to what's going on. There will be the exclusive booking period that'll open next week, so look out on uh, on social media as to when that's going out via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and you will have a dedicated link open for you, the motivated pharmacy owner listener, and I appreciate the time that you give me every week. I'd love to be able to give that back to you and give you some exclusiveness to this as well. I will have a special uh, exclusive for any listeners that do come along, um, but I'll reveal that at a later stage. I might also add that at the event as well, I'm not going to be sending any books out until September. So if you want to be one of the first to get your hands on a printed, newly printed copy, uh, the only place you'll be able to get that is at the book launch um, in, on August 14. And I'll do one year better and I'll personally sign it uh, for each one of you that come along as well. Also, I wanted to add, which is a little bit of a celebration for our audience, and I know that a lot of you may be disappointed if you're not in Melbourne uh, or if you don't have a plan to come to Melbourne um, and you are international as well. And we now have 44 countries um, that are tuning into the show each week, which uh, I'm, I'm absolutely staggered and absolutely blessed that you guys give me your time every week and, and it has gotten to a global flavour as well. I did also mention a few, a few episodes back that I was going to get a special podcast cover with all the flags. That is in the pipeline. I'm just waiting uh, to hear back from a graphic designer I'm working with on that. And as soon as we've got it, I'll throw it up and it'll probably be the podcast cover that you will be seeing when you're listening to one of the next few episodes. But there is a very special way that you can get involved in the book launch. I will reveal that later on. You will have a great opportunity uh, to be as close to the action as you possibly could without stepping on a plane. I'll leave it at that. Our interview today is with Cos Sklavos. For our Australian listeners, he's a pharmacist who should require no introduction to you. However, he is our most immediate past president of the National Pharmacy Guild. And at the moment, he's an industry consultant and also the APP chairman. 
Kosklavos, welcome to the Transformation Show. Yeah, Rob, and hello to our listeners. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, look, it's great to have you on. And, you know, I don't think we could have had any better authority, particularly on uh, technology in this in this country, particularly around the e-health journey that we've been on. And uh, I think our listeners will be in it for a great treat today to see where, where you think our pharmacy industry is going around technology and also e-health. No, it would be a pleasure. Great, because I always like to get a story at the beginning of these. And um, when you when you left university, you know, what did you imagine your first pharmacy would look like? And did it involve the utilisation of technology? And how has that evolved for you over time? Well, I guess uh, in the early days in my day night pharmacy at Ipswich, you know, we all start start um, because of the long hours. You know, I needed to try and. Uh, keep in touch with what what was going on. I was working 70 or 80 hours a week, so, um, you know, I I quickly wanted to embrace technology in terms of just knowing what was going on in the world around us and continuing my professional development. You know, there was many Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons where maybe the doctor hadn't turned up at the medical centre next door where I had plenty of time to do some reading or uh, keep myself up to speed. And so I was sort of one of the earliest adopters of email and earliest adopters of online and and i guess that gave me a bit of a sense and uh, a bit of a taste for the excitement of uh, using technology to you know maximize the efficiency of the business yep ab- absolutely and what was the first r- really big thing that um you felt you did in any of those pharmacies well at the time uh, my pharmacy was ipswich and i was the uh, alpha farm which you know at the time was very dominant they had i think at one stage 95 percent market share we used to have uh the Carroll Park plant, which was down the road in Ipswich, in the city of Ipswich, and uh, yep. most of the reps, when they started, used to do inductions in my pharmacy, and and I'd often um, have communications with uh, Alpha Farm executives, and at that stage, sometimes they were overseas, and uh, my first sort of, I remember my first international teleconference, that was quite exciting, so, yeah. uh, you know, these days we may laugh at it, but in the early days, anything like that was uh, sort of taking things to another level. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and because um, having you know finished up last year as our national guild president, you know where do you see um, pharmacy at the moment, particularly, and why do you think technology might be a, a catalyst for pharmacy owners to really embrace twenty first century pharmacy? Well, I think we've set some good foundations. I mean, the privilege of being the guild president, I went to visit many other countries and see health systems. You know, uh, the snapshot view would have been at the time that the UK was probably one of the earliest nationwide adopters of a health system and, you know, pharmacy was an afterthought. You know, I remember clearly, you know, I can't remember sometimes what I did last week, but I remember my counterpart and I said, you know, what sort of dialogue was there with pharmacy and the implementation of electronic prescription and, you know, this sentence I'll never forget the rest of my life. In fact, it probably led pharmacy down a certain direction. goes... Lad, there was no dialogue. It was a monologue. Uh, Absolutely. We we were ignored. Same thing was happening in the US and Canadian systems. So, you know, we had to move quickly and we had to move decisively. And, you know, that required investment. I don't think the average pharmacist will probably ever appreciate. You know, we're one of the only associations that invested, you know, many millions of dollars to establish a footprint on electronic prescriptions. First of all, to make sure it was you know, not point to point, you know, there was enormous moral hazard if a 
script could be channeled to a mail order facility or mail from certain doctor to some other group. So yep. we saw the danger of that. Now, you know, whatever we invested, it's worthwhile because that now is established that it's a, an electronic mailbox, so to speak, for simple layman's terminology. And, and that's critical. You know, that's established a foundation. You know, we're still the most, in terms of the number of records, electronic prescriptions has been one of the few successes of, of eHealth in Australia. Uh, and you know we're certainly now well placed to move forward and and for pharmacists to play a key role and I guess the thing that I think you know when I engage with pharmaceutical companies now in my role as consultant I think where they appreciate is from their own personal life experiences I think you know e-health and technology will be embraced but there's a missing element I think for many of our um, patients with comorbidities is that that information technology needs to be facilitated and what I mean by that is, you know, I think there are many patients out there, many of our patients who'll benefit from eHealth who may not ever use a computer themselves, but it'll be the pharmacist who's facilitating that record to be shared. It's the pharmacist who's downloading their device data. It's the pharmacist who's coordinating um, the e-enablement of that. And that's certainly how I see pharmacy as playing a key role in eHealth moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look, pharmacies for generations and centuries have been the centre of the community. And, you know, we even talk about these things in terms of social media and why pharmacies need to play a role there as well, because our communities are in these digital spaces. And uh, again, if we can be connecting them with the right uh, solutions, it certainly is going to underpin our, our, our history and heritage. Because, um, and obviously, we're in, we're in a global time at the moment, the World Cup's on and everything. What, what would be, and I love to get these global stories of you know where perhaps pharmacy and technology are being best utilized george gave us a great one a few weeks ago about what's happening in portugal what would have been the best one you've seen well i guess the early flavor of which led to my passion for establishing you know project stop really led us on the journey to pharmacists you know in 2003 when we established project stop and you know when you think back you know, here we are in 2014, we still haven't got a real-time electronic checking process for controlled drugs, and yet, you know, the Pharmacy Guild developed its own technology in a national system in 2003. It's almost an indictment on our health system that, you know, the private sector with the small resources of the Guild established that. Um, that were, you know, when I went to British Columbia back in 1996, you know, the time I think the Victorian president of the Guild and he was head of our negotiating committee, and and I saw the potential of, uh, so the Canadian system is really a province-by-province health-based system. And we saw, um, you know, at the time, if you recall, you know, I don't even know whether you graduated then, Robert, you're so young. <laughs> but uh, in 1996, uh, you know, we saw the power of controlled drugs monitoring and um, identifying misuse and unintentional use. And uh, that gave me certainly a passion for, um, you know, pharmacists, you know, and, you know, as a day-night pharmacy, we were targets for, you know, illicit, you know, use of prescriptions, forged prescriptions. So um, that was probably my earliest memory of what eHealth could do. Um, as an early adopter now, that province is actually in a bit of trouble because, as you know, with sometimes the infrastructure and the technology base, you know, for those early adopters means that they've got less flexibility now. Um and ironically, you know, we were late, late adopters really on the on the world pharmacy stage, um, but it's given us enormous strength now on prescriptions. You know, I saw the risks of 
point-to-point dispensing that I saw, you know, that's what really gave... I mean, my view is mail order in the U- U.S. wouldn't have 17%. It would be have closer to 4 or 5% if we didn't have, you know, big corporates like, you know, teachers' unions channeling scripts via e-health on point-to-point to mail order facilities. So, you know, it gave me a passion to uh, make sure that... In fact, it's not even the technology, Robert. It's mm. really to make sure the ground rules, the the system architecture and the system rules are in place to to make sure that the e-health are a better health system not not that that's not the dominator of the health system and and i think that's what we've done well in e-health and uh you know the, certainly the rest of the health system could do that you know when we look at for example you know what the australian government has spent on e-health from my earliest memories of presentations and you know nina nina had this uh, that's the national e-health transition authority had you know, graphics of e-health, and I was thinking, wow, there's something really glaringly missing here. It's the device data. Mm. So they've got a map, uh, almost like a informatic, and, you know, it didn't have it. And, you know, at the time, you know, I remember seeing we have, um, you know, whether it's scales or, uh, you know, in the early days of e-health when pharmacy was leading, you know, we'd have international delegations from groups like Omron, Groups like Polar, I mean, the biggest device company in the world is a product we don't even sell in pharmacy, which we should. You know, Polar watches and, you know, these days people walk around and, you know, post-cardiac surgery, I had visions of pharmacists uh, giving, hiring a watch out to someone. As you know, they get them up pretty quickly after a bypass surgery. Yep. You know, uh, and as I say to community groups, there's no one that I know when the doctor says, have you done your 20 minutes of exercise every day in the first week post, you know, cardiac surgery there's no consumer i know that says no doctor i was very slack and i didn't do it whereas device data doesn't lie you know you could these days with fitbits and other things that i see i see those devices being tools that pharmacists have in their arsenal i don't necessarily see patients embracing them it'll have to be pushed by a health professional i don't think doctors are interested in that space i think pharmacists are well placed you know on the monthly visit when somebody comes in for their chronic therapy medicine for a patient to have that data downloaded and certainly that's in my continuing role in the profession I'll certainly be trying to push for us to play that role. Mm, absolutely and, and and the interview we had with Kathy Reid uh, several episodes ago you know we were talking about the lack of pharmacist leadership in this area and that retailers like Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi and the good guys are dedicating sections to wearable tech and health devices and uh, our pharmacies whilst I think at the moment there's the eye health devices that HealthPoint um, can put into community pharmacies at the moment are really not embracing that and uh, again there's that interconnectivity um, and cause I wanted to ask you and I, 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 I point to add that it's not too late because yeah. on e-health one of the ground rules is, is that only the nationally registered health professionals or the patient themselves can load data. Mm. So I cannot see the day where Harvey Norman staff or, uh, you know, or Rebel Sports staff or anyone else is loading health data. So we, yeah. those ground rules are set. It'll have to be a nationally registered health professional because from an audit trail point of view, and I don't think we speak enough about audit trails. Audit trails is, are important because, yeah. you know, we need to track who's looked at the data, who's analysed it, who's, who's been online. And, you know, we could certainly gazump those um, players very quickly because 
the patient who will benefit most from these devices are patients who on their own will never walk into one of these stores and get these devices because mm. they've never grown with technology. Um, and the best example, you know, without naming names, in the in the area of diabetes units, you know, something like only 5% of patients download the data mm. from a from a diabetes unit. So to me that indicates that sure it's got all the uh, enablement on there and but it's a bit like a smart you know smartphone you know most 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 of us don't use all the features. No. So unless somebody is facilitating that process um, and I, that's why I think it's not too late for pharmacy to to play a lead role in that and I think with e-health being opt out rather than an opt-in, um, that gives us enormous opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, even as soon as earlier this month, um, Apple came out with their big announcement of um, HealthKit, which I'm not sure if you if you heard about that, but um, obviously a facilitator for getting automatic loading of data from wearable devices through the Apple Health platform and out to um, institutions. Like there was an example they used of the Mayo Clinic where, you know, their doctors will get blood pressure information, blood glucose, blood glucose information from patients as as the patients are actually doing it through bluetooth connectivity so that you don't even have to rely on the patient to actually do it so it's certainly exciting and, and what i wanted to ask you cos around um, microsoft health fault because that was something that you spoke about a lot during your term is that we were as a pharmacy industry partnering with microsoft health fault where, where is that at at the moment well, I think we went through a stage, and that's why a lot of this is, you know, I, I've always said that 80% of this is politics. It's not the technology and whether we can make the technology work. Summary, you know, we had a period of time with a, a Labor government that they were certainly very hesitant on those big guerrilla companies like Microsoft um, taking control of the record. So the government, I think, made a conscious decision, decision to develop their own. I think in hindsight, that's probably why we've you know, spent many hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone to waste and we're all repaying that cost now. But, you know, to give you a sense of it, you know, uh, when you look at not how many people signed up to the PCHR but how many actually use it for their for their data records, that's one of the criticisms. So uh, it costs Microsoft an enormous amount of money. Uh, it cost you know, people their jobs. The government didn't progress down that track. Um, so at this stage, they're, they're back in play and looking on the sidelines because I think the coalition government at the moment, especially Minister Dutton, you know, does see that the private sector may have some solutions. He's certainly seen, you know, from e, from electronic prescriptions. I mean, pharmacists should remember that, you know, the person who gave me the tick for us to develop, you know, electronic prescriptions at the time was two key people. One was the Minister for Health, who happens to be the now Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, yep. and the Minister for... Uh, human resources or human um, well, what was Medicare in essence uh, was Joe Hockey so the treasurer in fact it was his final tick that sort of gave us the okay to develop uh, ERX and so you know it is actually electronic prescriptions people forget uh, really a coalition initiative it's just it took us a long time to you know get the uh, infrastructure right and get it and the incentives as well for health professionals to utilize that you know, with the doctor incentives now in place, we've seen an enormous spike in electronic prescriptions recorded, and, and I think that will become the foundation of eHealth.
Absolutely. And, you know, obviously those huge changes of changing from uh, opt-in to now opt-out, um, you know, should certainly drive those patient records up. I think as I was talking to George, I think we'd only had, I think, about uh, six or 7,000 active health records out of 1.5 million registrations. So it'd be great to not only boost the registrations, but also get some usable data on there as well. Well, there's two other things. I mean, I think for our listeners, because, I mean, most of them won't be close enough to what the reviewer, Richard Royal, I mean, I know Richard, he's, you know, Queensland-based and he's sort of around the political scene with me uh, for many years. There's two key recommendations opportunities for pharmacy that I haven't seen a lot of commentary on. One is on scheduled medicines, you know, uh, the narrative I put the re- to the review team, which, you know, also included the, the then AMA president, um, Steve Hamilton was that you know we had in the cohort of men 18 to 25 you know many of them go to pharmacies they get their reliever you know asthma spray you know puffers and yet they're not they're, they're missed by the whole health system you know unless we have S3s recorded you know we've got issues with coding misuse and inappropriate use and there's enormous opportunity um, for for those records to be recorded and therefore to have a f- fulsome record so that, you know, if that patient goes to the doctor, you know, the doctor say, well, look, I, I wrote a script for you for serotide four months ago. You know, you, I've seen you've got, you've had one dispensed, you know, your meds index score is 25. You know, you should be taking, this is not a, something you use just when you're feeling uh, a bit of, you know, pressure in your chest. It's something you should be using all the time. And, and I think that represents, because that's our schedule. You know, the mm. S3 is the pharmacist only schedule, so that presents enormous opportunities and I think would give us the ability to have more meaningful switches from S4 to S3. And two yeah. is, you know, I'll be honest, uh, and again, I sometimes overstate the importance of politics, And uh, but at the end of the day, the boards of these bodies have an enormous say and for the review to say that there should specifically be a position on the board of governance for a pharmacist is something I'm very proud of because, you know, at the moment, you know, when there are these boards, whether it's NIDA or whether it's a lot of these leading peak bodies, you know, pharmacists aren't there and it frustrates everyone. And, you know, that's a, a difficult process. Whereas if the if uh, the reviewer's recommendations are there, where there should be a pharmacist specifically on the board, then that's... Uh, that means that you know when they're discussing things and we know that there's a better solution through pharmacy that that will be presented at the highest level which is the board level not the advisor level or some advisory committee which you know we're relegated to at the moment and uh, and that's where change will occur mm, no ab- absolutely and <clears throat> i think that also some of the great opportunity that i think you know linking in with that is just trying to automate those processes um, i know that in our own pharmacies, the, the biggest challenge we've struggled with is, you know, when we we're trying to record S3s um, for good clinical reasons, um, we've always got uh, that a rival pharmacy perhaps may not do that. And so therefore, why are we doing it? So, you know, how do you think we can be, you know, introducing these types of initiatives uniformly so that everyone's doing it? Is it something that, you know, the software developers should really be you know, making easier so that pharmacists don't have the choice of recording or not recording? Well, I think um, it all starts at the university level, you know. My, I mean, as somebody who sort of helped implement quality care in Australian pharmacy, you know, we we move from a system of sort of all of us doing our own things to a systemised process. I mean, my view is that, you know, we've got a template there in quality care that can be auditable. 
Um, you know, we're independently tested every two years. Um, you can enable a process through that with more rigor. Know that there's an independent audit process and, you know, we should be stamping out inappropriate activity because it brings down the image of all of us and it, and therefore also opportunities to our profession as a whole are not given because there's a sense, well, we can't give this opportunity to pharmacy because, you know, 15% of pharmacies do A, B, C or D. And, mm. and I think that's where... Uh, IT and audit trail. I mean, other professions are intimidated by audit trail. We are not. You know, pharmacy's always had looking over its shoulder, you know, Medicare Australia. We've always had, you know, rules and regulations around 20-day rules and, you know, in pharmacy, you know, because we put the, you know, the initials of person who's dispensed, you know, in essence, for example, if there's a dispensing error, we can always track when it occurred, what time. That's the nature of e-health. E-health means, you know, and that's why a lot of medical professionals don't like it because, uh, you know, I, I'll give you a f very senior doctor, I won't embarrass them, but the person said, oh, look, your health's terrible because every time someone comes in for a rash, I'm going to have to put in my notes, can't rule out squamous cell carcinoma. Hmm. Well, it just shows, I mean, the Guild owns an insurance company. I can assure all our listeners from an insurance point of view, whether you wrote in your notes or didn't write in your notes, that, you know, you were looking at what it could have been, perhaps fungal or a rash or... Uh, or uh, an infection or even a cancerous growth, um, whether it was written on your notes or not, if you're negligent, you're negligent. So there's a lot of misunderstanding of, you know, the litigious nature of the world today. And and uh, there is a fear to say, well, e-health will make it easier for doctors or pharmacists. But it has stopped. And, you know, in the early days of electronic prescriptions, um, you know, we had a ridiculous process where they're saying, well, we need to pay doctors to have uh, a medication summary. Well, you know, Rob, the, the medication mm -hmm. summary is out of date the second the patient leaves the doctor's surgery because next time they get a prescription, that becomes the new record. Mm -hmm. Or if they leave hospital, that becomes. So, you know, there was some, some major mistakes in the early days of e-health where doctors were paid to establish uh, a health summary at enormous cost, may I add, to all of us as taxpayers with little or no benefit because we had a process whereby the doctor didn't know what S3 medicine someone was taking. On S4s, they didn't know whether the person was taking the prescription brand on their prescription or whether the person was having a generic. They didn't know whether they were compliant with the medication. They didn't know what over-the-counter prescriptions they were taking. So, you know, it was not a full record. Hmm. And so this somehow this notion that, oh, from a, an insurance point of view, from a liabilities point of view, we need to have a doctor doing a summary is, is rubbish. And, you know, that's the sort of stuff that pharmacy needs to continue to push as messages as we move forward in this new evolve. So, you know, for our, many farmers continue to ask me, well, where, are we, where are we up to in this space? You know, there's funding in the May budget for the continuation of the existing structures until July 2015. I've recently spoke to Minister Dutton and he's saying that gives his government enough time to review where e-health is. Um, the short-term funding is to bring hospital prescriptions on the system because, as you know, there was government in the guild there was money in the Guild Government Agreement for community prescriptions, but the the states are are complaining there was no funding for them to add hospital prescriptions. Where, to be honest, if with those records, we'll get the biggest bang for our buck in terms of return investment. And then I think where pharmacy is at a critical stage in terms of lobbying and making sure we're playing a role is uh, come up to the May budget next year. The government then will determine what replaces NIDA. I think the minister has placed on the record that their history, the reviewers said they should go. There's new governance, there's new rules, there's new, you know, the 
PCHR will become the MyHR, and yeah. and I think you know it's a brand new world that we'll face one July two thousand and fifteen. Not only because that's when the new agreement starts, but more importantly, that's when the new e-health world starts. Mm, no, absolutely, and because obviously all of the e-health initiatives, and you know particularly the ones where you know we focus most of our attention, are the ones where we're going to solve the biggest problems for patients. And having the national medication chart, getting hospital discharges tightened up so that we don't have patients fronting up at our pharmacies on the weekend without any previous knowledge or no knowledge of their medical record coming out of the hospital. Um, what can you say is the biggest challenges that you know some of the e-health initiatives? That are looking at coming up um, could actually solve for our patients? Well, I think the biggest challenge is if they try and chew off too much. I mean, the, you know, if I had to summarise the Labor government's view for the six years of Labor was, you know, they wanted to have a gold standard solution when they should have just done electronic prescriptions first. You know, the pathologists went on side, the radiologists went on side, the doctors went on side, pharmacists were on electronic prescriptions, they should have just gone with that. So I think the strong message is, you know, the government's going to, you know, take the low-hanging fruit. Prescriptions are the best place to start. It'll be meaningful for patients. You know, I'm sure the private sector will have solutions that make it very easily for patients to view that, you know, uh, devices such as, you know, ERX and MedAdvisor and other tools will, I'm sure, link into the PCHR uh, successor, the MyHR, so someone can see on them at any one stage, you know, what scripts they've got left for those, you know, tech-enabled people. But, you know, some of these devices that have carers mode so that, you know, my parents are in their 80s, you know, they've got, I've got three brothers who are all health professionals. You know, we want to know what mum and dad are doing with their medicines and how they're travelling. But, you know, we don't specifically, you know, think that mum and dad will be carrying devices or e-health records. In fact, they'll probably never see a, a computer in their life. But importantly, you know, making sure the technology serves the patient rather than us being servants of the technology is where I see pharmacy having a key role. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and also the, uh, the non-e-health technology. So, you know, technology we see in our pharmacies all the time, we've discussed a lot in the past few episodes on pharmacy automation and really trying to get better integration between all of our systems so that we don't have all of these silos of medication management histories and dispense systems, point of sale systems, automation systems that all sit separately to each other. Where do you see is the best way for pharmacy to bring all of that together so that you know our time spent more in front of the patient than you know trying to do extra data entry in all the different systems that we use well i think the biggest efficiency gain for pharmacies i mean with pbs reforms we have to grow the front of store i mean some of the bigger pharmacy groups you know there's obviously the dispense there's a point of sale but there's a middleware that you know, enables groups to have better buying power, to know what's going on, to look at the compliance from in terms of OTC from members. Um, you know, I am declare that I'm a member of the Terry White Board. We've invested an enormous amount of money into, into that visibility. Um, I think then moving forward, you know, a lot of that's then linked to loyalty programs. I think there's enormous opportunity and you know, when you, and it's black and white, when you see how much Patients who, you know, who purchase with loyalty cards, how much the average sale is significantly higher than, um, for example, the, you know, the average pharmacy store sale average, um, then, you know, every pharmacy would be embracing and wanting to embrace loyalty programs or loyalty cards. 
And then I think what's missing at the moment is using those tools then to link back to screening programs in the in the pharmacy. You know, we've still got many national programs that the average pharmacist, even if they're a group or not a group, can link in. For example, you know, I began in Queensland many years ago the the Know Your Numbers campaign with the Stroke Foundation. Um, you know, that should be electronic. You know, we should be able to push a button and say, you know, during this week, uh, you know, there was 800 interventions across Australia where pharmacists, you know, the results were concerning uh, or, you know, some professional group or advisory committee could identify you know, which, where intervention from the pharmacist perhaps even saved a life. And, uh, you know, the health economists can then do modelling on that. And then that would then, rather than programs like that, which, you know, are next to no remuneration or modest remuneration, you know, pharmacy is significantly, you know, when you look at the significant burden on the health system in Medicare, they, they are programs that are IT-enabled, they're auditable, you know, outcomes are known because we have the patient record and the identifier of the patient, that's what should be funding programs and that's where the Gills talks about growing the revenue base outside of the agreement because, you know, frankly, there's too much pressure placed on the pharmacy agreements um, as delivering the panacea for all pharmacy to other models. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm engaged a lot at the moment with private health insurers and I think there's an opportunity, especially if the government looks at changing their legislation with regards to private health insurers play, are being able to play a more active role in primary health care and you know in my new consultancy position that's one of the things that I'm very passionate about and uh, I want to move forward because you know a very small cohort of patients you know George Savides who's the boss of Medicare of uh, uh, Medibank private says you know something like two percent of his members account for 40 percent of his costs Hmm. And, I mean, that's just enormous. And when you think about medicine misadventure out of that 2%, you know, it's just surprising there are not, you know, funded programs for pharmacists to play a role in with the care of those patients, especially those who have been readmitted on a second readmission to hospital. And uh, I think these private health insurers would be willing and ready to pay, but there are some difficulties in the current legislation. I think when Medibank Private sells at the end of this year or early next year, um, so therefore the government isn't compromised in terms of policy settings and owning the major insurer. Uh, we're going to see opportunities open up for pharmacy and and I can assure you from direct discussions at the highest level, um, technology is something that they embrace. Um, audit trail you know, th of results through that technology is something that these health funds embrace and I think it presents an opportunity for our profession. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and cause I guess, you know, we're talking about a lot of um, higher level things and, you know, you're a pharmacy owner yourself. And um, I guess what, what would you say, like to give our listeners some advice in terms of the type of technology that they should be really embracing, you know, what should they be focusing on? Obviously, a lot of pharmacy owners at the moment and traditionally have always looked at the guild and the agreement to deliver remuneration and so forth around their businesses. And, you know, now they're having to do it a little bit tougher and to develop their own revenue streams as well and you know even things as much as marketing what they do and what their specialties are but what, what would you say is your you know maybe one or two things that you would recommend pharmacy owners to be looking at from a technology angle that might benefit their business at the moment well the biggest thing i'm i'm asked by pharmacists is what is the zero cost option tell me some programs that i can implement that don't cost me money which is not unsurprising yeah so i'm saying we you know, we 
I don't think we use the appointment schedules or being able to, you know, put a, a date, you know, in the future um, of, you know, if you're doing, a, in, for example, in our Terry White, we have a heart check and we have other programs that we want to say, look, can I put you down for an appointment in three months' time or six months' time? So that's no technology. That's using existing tools, you know. We use that for, uh, for a variety of purposes, even though many of the groups are now moving to providing calendars and I know Gilcare is going down that track yep. but you know I'm talking about technology that exists on every computer today um, to make our business operations you know more efficient there, you know, there's online websites that pharmacists can easily set up themselves there's newsletters you know I, I'm saying anyone who's got an account customer as a pharmacy who's not using that as an opportunity to send a newsletter out at the same time especially when you're at the same time you're asking a patient to pay something um, so I am genuinely surprised that, you know, these days with Publisher and and some other very simple, you know, I mean, I remember the early days in my youth club days in the Greek community, you know, we used to use the Gestetners. Yeah. I mean, the, mod the modern pharmacist has got, you know, templates on Microsoft to create a newsletter in 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be over the top. Um, but, you know, you can set some, you know, there's always news each month on changes to the PBS, new drug changes, price changes. You know, we've just had a... May budget, you know, there's 101 issues someone could be commenting on. You know, you could be giving your opinion on the $7 co-payment initiative, but every pharmacist should be having a newsletter. Um, it, you know, it should be two two hours a month that should take them when they get proficient at it. Everyone should be using Outlook. Um, so there are existing tools such as that that are available and, and you know, exhaust those opportunities mm. uh, before you get more sophisticated. Now, pharmacy, you know, our... High suspense in customers. One of my business partners has developed a very innovative tool that I know works across dispensing. So if there are top, you know, 300 customers, in other words, uh, by prescription volume, the customer who's over a year who we have the more prescriptions from, well, by they're a, they're a VIP as far as I'm concerned. And so a pop-up occurs in our pharmacy of that top 300 customer. And, you know, we make that extra effort, and, you know, and these days the pharmacies, I mean, you know, I've got day-night pharmacies and open till 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, it's impossible almost for everyone to know, you know, every customer. You know, using those sort of tools, first the free ones and then developing your own tools. But, you know, there's existing suite, you know, I am continually surprised that on something that, you know, we've got over 3,000 pharmacies who embrace Gilcare. Hmm but don't use all the tools that are available, you know, whether it's the baby program or the, you know, uh, asthma technique. There's a lot of freebies on there that you pay no extra for um, that you should be using. So I know it sounds critical and I can mm. say this, uh, but even as President of Guild, I used to say it's almost like we've got attention deficit disorder. Everyone's looking mm. for, you know, I can't tell you how often I say, well, what are the new programs in the next agreement? And because obviously I knew, I could say to the phone, well, which ones are you using the current agreement and which ones, which private programs are you running? And often, you know, you'd find these, you know, these same people who had an eye on the next agreement weren't utilising all the current agreement services and private programs. And, and it, that's what, you know, in a tough environment, you've got to squeeze every resource available to you. And that's my key message to pharmacists. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, as, as I do myself, I like looking at, you know, sporting analogies and, um, you know, one percenters is always a great thing. And there's lots of internal things that we can pick up one percenters as well as external. It's uh, quite often sometimes people are just looking for that home run that they can, you know, make a massive difference and, you know, greatly improve their business. But I think if there's a collection of one percenters that we can improve every, every week, every month, every year, um, you know, we will consistently get better. Um, Cousin, also in your own businesses as well, what have you implemented yourself um, or even amongst your partners in the last year that you know you think may have really revolutionised the business? Well, in many of our stores, uh, you know, in our sort of subgroup of Terry White's, you know, I've my focus has been on the interns. You know, I, you know, in some of our stores we've got two interns. You know, these are, and especially with as we've moved to. Uh, automated dispense systems you know they're up front these pharmacists are face to face with consumers so I, I've tried to, to give them the resources and the tools to be able to to utilize that and you know the example I give my colleagues is you know my daughter's in third year pharmacy you know she's you know as we move to robotics and they become both a more cost effective and uh, an efficient way of doing business um, you know, there's a number of choices out there for our listeners um, I've found that pharmacy student might have been sort of on the S2, S3 counter and might have been getting the medication off the shelf. Well, now my daughter's up front. You know, she has, uh, there's about four dispense stations. Somebody comes in, the, the medicine comes out the chute and, um, you know, that she, in her case, because she's a third-year student, the pharmacist checks it on the spot and it's a very efficient process. So, you know, I, I need to make sure she's, well, she's just a student, but especially at the intern level, they're aware of clinical interventions. They're aware of, you know, when they can refer to someone from MedsCheck. They're aware of private programs we're running. We, you know, where they're aware of SMS reminders, and there's a number of tools. So, you know, we've got a situation that, you know, one of my biggest concerns, which the Guild used to be blamed for, but you know, I can assure you that in all my years as president of the Guild, I never once got told by one university how many students would we graduate. You know, we're going to have. 1,800 or 1,900 graduates a year, 90% of them will go to a community pharmacy. And unless they're seen to add some value, um, you know, at the moment they're all getting jobs while it's become increasingly harder. But, you know, I certainly predict by the end of this year, you know, two or 300 won't be able to find a job. That will create a crisis. And uh, I think if the universities aren't getting them ready to add value from day one as interns, uh, yeah, to implement those programs that I mentioned, you know, clinical interventions and the like and private programs if they're working to a particular group, then, you know, we're going to find kids without a job. And, you know, I hear that from university students now. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've got an obligation to uh, to use that. So, you know, my biggest tip is making sure your senior, you know, if you use dispensary techs, and we don't use them a lot, we'd rather use pharmacists, but if you're using a dispensary tech or you're using... Uh, young pharmacists and interns, the key message is, are they aware of all the programs? Is it in their job descriptions? Do they implement? Do you measure their performance? Do you have regular meetings? So for example, with interns, uh, there's not a pharmacist owner listening who shouldn't be changing the job description of an intern every three months. Because you know what they started on day one, three months later, they're getting enormous proficiency. And they, by the end of that, you know, the, nine, you know, the nine month review um, job description, um, they should be doing a lot of jobs, perhaps leading on a lot of jobs, um, you know, screening programs, perhaps in-store or alike, or setting up a promotional display and so forth. 
there's lots of those things that I think, you know, when I say, look, if it's not in someone's job description, don't expect them to do it. Oh, look, absolutely. And, you know, I think even, you know, taking away from the services as well that the, you know, the technology has never been easier to implement so that our pharmacists that are graduating, and I think your daughter's in a great position that, you know, she'll be able to graduate and have all of these technology services supporting her so that, you know, you can really focus on what you're good at and what pharmacists should be doing as opposed to dealing in the logistics of picking stock and being able to be front and centre and delivering great outcomes comes for the patients and so absolutely I think you know it's very exciting but we need to be recognizing um, you know the key role that these students and interns can play and not simply as um, you know some pharmacies are out there at the moment just using them to pick and put away stock and not really expose them to those um, coalface clinical elements I, I think it's great that you, you're doing that. Cause I'm a lot of might finish, and I love this question, and I know we'll get we'll get a we'll get a big one big one from you, and I know we've already discussed a lot of game changing things, but I'd love to know that in your own thoughts, um, you know what what is the biggest game changing technology, and it can be anything, it, it just basically no time, no resources, or barriers, but what would you implement in your pharmacy today if if that was around? Well, I think the biggest thing uh, I think you know at some stage in the near future we'll see if. You know, technology was no barrier. Um, would be you know devices that we can ensure people are taking their their medications. I mean, compliance is still the number one issue worldwide uh, for patients with chronic diseases. Obviously, the more comorbidities, the poorer the compliance. The more chronic therapy meds someone takes, the you know the worse it is. You know, I, I can see the day where you know I've seen some prototypes where somebody will be swallowing a tablet and will know when they've actually swallowed it rather than even had it dispensed. But I, I, I do clearly see that, you know, when you look at patients who've ended up in hospital or, you know, who've, who've had a major incidence, it's, it's, it's almost scary. In fact, I think every bit of official data understates it because, you know, many countries, for example, don't have a simple scoring system like a meds index score that they, they know, you know, the compliance of a patient's record. But I think that's the biggest game changer. And, you know, I think for pharmacy... You know, if pharmacists doesn't don't own compliance on medicines, then I don't know why we're vending machines. And you know, they may as well get out of vending machines. So, you know, when you look at where technology is, if we don't embrace it, if we don't use it to our enablement, um, what we'll find is we'll be replaced. Or you know, in some, you know, for example, in Canada, you know, unfortunately, you know, we now have a situation where technicians can dispense. You don't even technically need a pharmacist on site. Yeah. yeah, and people laugh as, oh, that's just the odd problems, but the UK is going down that track. So the dispensing process, and this may come as a shock to you, Rob, but I believe the dispensing process will become slower if we're smart. Hmm. Slower in that it'll force pharmacists to use their clinical skills, skills that a, a computer can't, you know, differentiate, you know, because at the end of the day, we're information rich but knowledge poor, and the pharmacist's role will be to interpret data to make then a clinical judgment, to back their judgment, it'll be audited, They'll that judgment will be recorded. And uh, whether that's referring patients to a program or changing regimes or changing the strength of medicines, you know, we've got to look at where are the big savings for governments. You know, at the moment, we've seen a government that's hell-bent determined on reducing Medicare costs. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine in, you know, four years' time that there won't be maximum repeats by default. 
you know, medicines that have got five repeats or six months of therapy or 12 months. And if the doctor wants to see that patient, there'll be systems available for them to get them to come back into the surgery. But, you know, a doctor will no longer be able to have the prescription as ran hold that script as ransom. You know, I my pet hate is doctors who write only one repeat on an item because they like that patient going back. Mm. Now that I'm on the other side of the, the the equation working for pharmaceutical companies and, you know, engaging more with doctors, I am shocked, literally shocked how many patients visit a doctor on a weekly basis. Um, about 25% of those is because they want to check compliance in areas like in mental health. Um, why on earth we aren't utilising the pharmacist as a more cost-effective resource is beyond me. So I think they're the sorts of things that... So obviously from my official pharmacy, I'm looking for efficiency that makes sure there are jobs for pharmacists in the future because if we, don't, if we aren't careful, and, you know, and your show, Rob, is all about technology, we could be replaced by technology and, um, and, you know, and we'll move to online and we'll just order things from a robot and they'll ask a few questions. But, you know, as is a complex system and comorbidities and people with chronic therapy meds how you know it'll take a clinical skills of a health professional to interpret that data um where the where the medicines experts you know nobody yeah. not even a doctor knows more about medicines and pharmacists so let's leverage that and let's make sure we're playing front and center in a health system that utilizes the skills of pharmacists Absolutely, Cos. And, you know, we might have the best clinical skills as medicines as well, but we also are the most accessible health professionals available. And, you know, we're still the only ones that we don't actually have patients paying us for appointments. And we often know their families better. We know the whole history of the community. And so we're in that position to also provide that personalised clinical advice that may be more relevant to their individual circumstances. It might be flavour that a child particularly prefers in a compounding sense. So, you know, it can't be, I don't think it will ever get technology replacing that. But I think if the technology enables us to be doing more of that rather than all the logistics and the administration of our businesses, which really hold us back, I think it places us in a much better setting in the 21st century. Cos, it's been great having you on today. Um, I look forward to having you back in the uh, not-too-distant future. Thanks, and uh, cheers to all those who, who stayed on and listened. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Cos. Cheers. Well, we've certainly been spoilt today. Cos has given the past, immediate and future of our e-health in Australia and so many insights into global countries, everything that's going on around the world and how lucky we are in this country to have a system the way we have it. And that leads me to my three key learnings. The first one is, is that the Guild by implementing ERX has prevented point-to-point -point dispensing. As we heard in our previous episode with Scott Maitland in the US, there's been a huge proliferation of US insurance-based mail-order pharmacies that are sucking businesses away, sucking business away from community pharmacy. And what the Guild have done with the architecture of ERX has prevented this point-to-point -point dispensing so that we don't end up like our US colleagues. So that's something we should be thankful for. It's an insight that certainly I wasn't aware of before today, but Again, we we're extremely lucky to have had that system in there. Number two, and it also touches back on some points from Kathy Reid's interview as well. There is a huge opportunity for wearable tech. 
It will require, as Coz said, a health professional to write to the electronic health record. Retailers like your Harvey Normans and Good Guys and all of these are Australian retailers for our global listeners, but they're not going to be able to write to the health record. So they might be able to sell the devices, but as Coz believes, and I certainly agree this, we need to be that health professional that facilitates the need for those wearable devices and showing them how it can improve their health care. We spoke about earlier about Apple Health Kit and how that's creating some amazing case studies and outcomes with the Mayo Clinic in the US and some early testing. And we've, we can be simply in the same position as well, where we're able to know when a patient's blood pressure may be slightly higher, alerting the doctor to need to check the patient up, but that also might help us to take some pressure off the doctor and actually bring them into our pharmacies for a blood pressure check and verification of some of their vital signs. So there's a huge opportunity there and we need to be taking a leading role. We do have blood glucose devices, but as Cos said, most people don't download them, they don't analyze them. It's a great opportunity for us. And with the advent of Bluetooth and smartphone capability for some of these devices like the BG Star from Sanofi, um, just to name one, um, we've got that opportunity to try and get hold of that data and help our patients really understand what it means and how they can get better health outcomes as well. So we've got to embrace that and there will be more coming, um, but we've got to take a leading role. As I, as I mentioned, there's iHealth from HealthPoint available at the moment. You should all have a look at that, um, but there's your Fitbit and your Jawbone app as well. And we only need to look at the current campaign of Medibank, which is seeing the benefit of having their members using Fitbit to get at least some baseline lifestyle data, which I'm sure they'll no doubt want to implement into their framework as well. Big opportunity there, I think. The third is also the, the concept of a VIP customer. It was great to hear that Coz has got um, a, a pop-up to be able to isolate his top 300 best customers and really trying to provide a great model of care to those patients as well. I think based on what Coz is talking about and how he's using interns and pharmacy students, even his own daughter, it's a great model of care to give our patients better care in enabling the technology to leverage the pharmacist, the pharmacy student, the intern away from all of the logistics and put them at the coalface of great patient pharmaceutical care. And that's what it's all about. So we really need to be able to leverage the technology as Coz is doing in his pharmacies to be able to create that great opportunity. And I think that's where it sits. We spoke a lot about how technology might replace us one day, but one thing that won't replace us is our ability as humans and as the most, most available health professionals and most accessible as well, we often know more about the patient than just their healthcare. We know their families, we know the community, and we can connect all of that in providing an ex a superior customer experience that cannot be matched by any technology or any robot. The technology really just enables us to focus on what we're really good at, which is having these great conversations with our patients that ultimately give them the freedom to enjoy their lives for as long as possible in good health. So what a jam-packed episode we've had. Obviously no micro-transformation this week, but head across to SoundCloud and you can check out the playlists and go right the way through all of our previous ones. And there may even be a new one coming up in the next week or so. 
Just wanted to make sure and remind everyone to check out the competition entry that will come out on Monday via Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn and that the exclusive booking period for you will be open next week. Have a great week everyone. I look forward to speaking to you again next week.